Good morning! Today is Sunday, the 30th day of April 2017. There once was an actress during the Civil War who pledged her Confederate loyalties from the stage in order to become a spy for the Union. Today we have the story of Pauline Cushman on the 125th episode of Sunday Morning Coffee with me. It's Sunday, it's time for coffee, and I am your host and storyteller, Jeff Kelly. I'm so glad you're with me today to hear this American Civil War story. You know, I often wonder if my listeners actually drink coffee while listening to the show. I mean, really, the show is meant for a bit of entertainment while you have your morning coffee. Wait a minute, I hope none of you are drinking tea while listening. Oh well. Actually, I guess tea's okay. Let's talk UFOs. You know, according to the Daily Mail, California is now ranked as the UFO capital of the U.S. This article refers to a new book called UFO Sightings Desk Reference by Cheryl Costa and Linda Miller Costa. And they claim there's been more than 120,000 reports of unidentified flying objects seen from 2001 to 2015 and 16,000 of those were sightings originating in California. One explanation they give is because of the nice weather, that people in California spend a lot of time outside. Well, when I think about California, I think there might be another explanation, but that I will keep to myself so I don't offend any of our California listeners. But people of the West Coast, keep on watching the skies. And speaking of UFOs, did you hear about the tree trunks on Mars? Yep, I got this from the Fox News website. Apparently, NASA's Mars rover Curiosity on March 25th captured what appears to be tree stumps on the red planet. Or maybe they're just weird rock formations, but whatever. Now, Fox News quotes something called the paranormal crucible, and I have no idea what that is. But according to them, they say, Intriguing object found by Curiosity rover. This time a possible tree stump. This object definitely looks out of place and, in my opinion, could be a petrified remains of a Martian tree. Object is around three feet in height, and with numerous discoveries of plant and animal life on Mars... It could be logical to assume that a variety of tree either existed or still exist on the ignomatic planet. Oh, hold on. Wait, did the paranormal crucible just say with numerous discoveries of plant and animal life on Mars? Hmm, I must have missed that. You'd think that would have been a major headline. Well, there you have it, solid evidence that there is or was alien life on Mars. Well, here in the Midwest, we had a really nice weekend last weekend, but this weekend, it seems to have cooled off a bit and we might get some rain. Probably the perfect time to sit back and hear a story 
of a remarkable woman who helped as a spy for the North during the American Civil War. This podcast is part of the SciCon Network. You can support this podcast and others like it by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com forward slash SciCon. That's C-S-I-C-O-N. A link can be found on the Coffee with Jeff website. Just a dollar or two is all it takes to keep these podcasts going. Thank you for your support. I've told you before, I'll have no brawling in front of my place. But Miss Pauline, uh, well, I was defending your honor. My honor, little prairie chicken, has been upheld by generals, bank presidents, and senators. I don't need a boy with peach fuzz in his face to do me no favors. Death Valley Days. Howdy, folks. I'm the old ranger. Of all the fabled heroines of the Old West, it is said that the most beautiful was Pauline Cushman, who gained fame as a Union spy during the Civil War, became a celebrated actress, and then retired to run a hotel in Casa Grande, Arizona. Now, Pauline was a proud and independent lady. Today, we have a tale of a 30-year-old actress during the start of the American Civil War, the ugliest chapter in the history of the United States. She was from the North and had already lost a husband who fought for the Union. One could only imagine how she felt when she was approached by two Confederate officers while doing a play for a theater company in Louisville, Kentucky. They wanted her to toast the Confederacy while on stage the following night and offered her $300 to do so. Now, Kentucky at the time was one of the most southern of the northern states, so while Kentucky was still part of the Union, it had many southern sympathizers. An offer like this wasn't totally unexpected. Her name was Pauline Cushman, and the following night she stopped in the middle of her performance, held a glass of champagne, and said to the audience, Here's to Jeff Davis and the Southern Confederacy. May the South always maintain her honor and her rights. She was immediately fired from the theater company and quickly became a celebrity with Southerners. It had gone exactly to plan because the day before, Pauline had reported this offer to the Union. So Pauline Cushman started a new career as a spy for the Union Army during the bloodiest war the United States had ever been involved in. She was born Harriet Wood in New Orleans in 1833. She had a dark complexion inherited from her French mother and her Spanish father. Her family moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan when she was 10 years old, and it was there she grew up with her six brothers. She was a girl of beauty and intelligence, as well as a tomboy who loved riding horses, canoeing, hunting, and playing sports. She spent most of her youth with a Native American tribe in Grand Rapids, and that's where she learned how to hunt, track, ride horses, and shoot better than most men. Yet Grand Rapids is not the town we know today, but it was little more than a frontier trading post, and the backwoods life wasn't the kind of life she wanted. She imagined something more. She had heard stories of great, exciting cities such as New York, Boston, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and Washington. When she was 18, she moved to New York. This, apparently, was after a heated exchange with her father, who was known to have a violent temper. She had picked New York because she heard about its cafes and theaters, and knew that would provide the exciting life she craved. Her plan was to become an actress on the stage. Once there, she took the stage name 
Pauline Cushman in honor of her idol, actress Charlotte Cushman. Her beauty and poise quickly earned her roles in several plays. She never had great success as an actress, so in 1853, she met and fell in love with a musician named Charles Dickinson. The two were married and settled down in his hometown of Cleveland, Ohio to start a family. Charles got a job as a music teacher. The couple had their first child, Charles Jr., who was born in 1853, and then a daughter, Ida, in 1860. From all accounts, the marriage was never a happy one. And then, for all those in the United States, life changed. It was the start of the American Civil War, which began in April of 1861. It was the fracturing of a country that was not even a hundred years old yet that put brother against brother, leaving many young wives as widows. Charles joined the music band of the 41st Ohio Infantry of the Union Army. In early April of 1862, he was part of the Battle of Shiloh, one of the bloodiest engagements of the war, when armies of Union General Ulysses S. Grant and Confederate General Albert Sidney Johnson collided near Pittsburgh Landing in Tennessee. Over 100,000 men battled for two days, resulting in over 3,500 deaths and over 16,000 wounded. One of the band members later talked about the conditions. We were camped on the battlefield of Shiloh for about a month after the battle, and we had nothing but filthy surface water to drink and food that was not of the best, consisting mostly of raw pork, as we were not allowed to build fires most of the time. We had no tents, no cooking utensils, nothing to eat, only raw pork and crackers. Coffee beans we had to grind with our teeth, and it rained nearly every night. Charles survived the battle but was discharged with chronic dysentery, or some reports say typhus or malaria, and returned to Cleveland. When he arrived, he weighed only 120 pounds. Pauline later wrote, When my husband came home from the army, he was in very poor health, in fact, a complete wreck. I had two small children to take care of and was unable to take care of both of them and him. And as his father had a very large house with plenty of room, and he had two brothers and three sisters at home besides his father and mother, he went there to be taken care of. I heard his condition every day and frequently saw him. He never expected him to get any better, but regarded him beyond the hope of recovery. Charles Dickens never did fully recover from his illness and died on December 8, 1862, from head injury suffered in a fall probably caused by his ill health and weak condition. Pauline wrote, He died a few minutes after midnight and was buried late in the afternoon of the same day. I was not present when he died, as he died very suddenly, but I was in Cleveland at the time and attended his funeral. Charles' death devastated Pauline, and she decided to leave the children with her in-laws and go back to the stage. There's very little information about this. Some stories seem to indicate that the relationship between Pauline and her in-laws was not a very good one, and there would be hard feelings between them from now on. She ended up in Louisville, Kentucky, on the stage at the Woods Theater in a play called The Seven Sisters. It was in March of 1863 when she was approached by two Confederate officers, Colonel Spears and Captain J.H. Binclow, who offered her $300 if she would toast the Confederacy and Confederate President Jefferson Davis during a future performance. 
She was initially offended by this offer and reported it to Provost Marshal Colonel Orlando Hurley Moore. Moore saw the possibility of obtaining a new scout to spy on Confederate camps. He convinced her that she should carry out the toast as a way to get in good with the South and to set up a way for her to be a spy for the North. When she took the oath of allegiance to the Union, she held an American flag to her chest. Her 1865 authorized biography, The Life of Pauline Cushman, described that night that changed her life. The momentous hour arrived, and, advancing in her theatrical costume to the footlights, our heroine, goblet in hand, gave in a clear, ringing voice the following toast. Here's to Jeff Davis and the Southern Confederacy. May the South always maintain her honor and her rights. The young girl had prepared herself for the fearful outbreak of popular opinion, but for a moment even the hearts of the audience seemed to stop beating. Then, however, it burst forth, and such a scene followed as Beggar's description. The good union portion of the audience had sat at first spellbound and horrified by the fearful treason thus outspoken. While even the secesh were frozen in the audacity of the act, though conscious that it was to occur. But then came the mingled storm of applause and condemnation. Fierce and tumultuous it raged until it seemed that it would never stop. Nor was the excitement behind the scenes less intense. Mr. MacDonald, rushing up to our heroine, demanded in the most tragic tone what she meant by such conduct while the rest of her professional gentlemen and ladies avoided her as though she had suddenly been stricken with some sort of fiercely contagious disease. So now, because she was considered a Confederate sympathizer, much to the anger of her acting company, Cushman was promptly fired from the production. The desired effect was complete, and Pauline quickly became a celebrity with Southerners and was able to use this along with her acting skills to gather valuable information. She would do whatever it took, dressing as a country boy or young gentleman to get into places a woman couldn't get into, and always sneaking back to the Union with intelligence. Pauline joined the new Nashville Theater, and it was while in Tennessee that she met the head of the Union's secret operation, Chief of Army Police, Union Colonel William Truesdale. He told her she couldn't waste time on the stage anymore, and must head right behind enemy lines to the enemy camps to learn any information she could. He was hopeful that Pauline could meet Confederate General Bragg and find out what he was up to. This might be possible because one of her brothers, whom she had a falling out with years before, was an officer in the Confederate Army. It would seem reasonable that a young lady might be in search of her missing brother. It was a perfect cover. Who wouldn't want to help a beautiful young girl in distress? One thing she was warned about was to never make notes or drawings of the enemy plans, but to keep everything in her head. For if she was ever caught, finding those plans would lead to her being tried and hung as a spy. Pauline was soon hanging out with southern troops and used her beauty to gain invitations from officers to accompany them along the Confederate lines, and with that gaining information on rebel troops' strengths and positions. One officer even presented her with her own Confederate uniform. It was in June of 1863 when everything went wrong. She was visiting the camp of General Bragg in Shelbyville, Tennessee, when she discovered his plans against the Union. 
She sketched on paper drawings of the rebel fortifications at Shelbyville and Tullahoma, ignoring the warning she had gotten from Colonel Truesdale. She hid the paper in her boot. Unfortunately, she was discovered trying to make her way back to the Union Army. She was caught and arrested. After a failed attempt to escape, she was searched and the plans in her boot were discovered. She was brought by guard to General Nathan Bedford Forrest, a man who would later become the Grand Master of the Ku Klux Klan after the war. Forrest told her, I have no time now to investigate your case. It's a complicated and difficult one. I will therefore send you to General Bragg's headquarters at Shelbyville, and if you should be so fortunate as to prove your loyalty to the South, you may always depend on General Forrest for protection. But this, I am sorry to say, I do not believe possible. And therefore say, prepare for the worst, for hanging is not pleasant. With Bragg, she attempted to use her charm to convince her of her support for the Confederacy, claiming the drawings in her boot was something she created to try to trick the North, but it was no good. Bragg gave the order that she should be tried as a spy. There was very little hope that she would be able to charm her way out of this. Ten days later, she was found guilty of being a spy. For those ten days, she was kept in a horrible, dirty prison, and between that and the strain of being tried and sentenced to be hung, she became ill. She used the sickness to her advantage, however, making it seem a lot worse than it actually was. So we have one of those strange, almost unthinkable situations in which she was deemed too sick to be executed, and her hanging was delayed. It seemed that her captors felt it was necessary to wait until she was in good enough health for her execution. But she knew it was only a matter of time before they would put that rope around her neck. And then, when things were at their darkest, a miracle. Union troops began to move into the area, and the Confederates were forced to run. The doctors of the Confederate Army declared Pauline was not well enough to travel with them, so she was left behind in the care of a civilian doctor. It was just three days before her scheduled hanging was to take place when she was rescued by Union troops. She was sent back to Nashville, and her days of being a spy were over. The trauma she suffered during this time was something that she would never get over. One of her biographers said... Fits of depression would seize her, and great tears would steal unconsciously down her marble-like features. She was a hero of the North, so much so that President Abraham Lincoln awarded her the honorary rank of Prevet Major. She earned the nickname the Spy of Cumberland. The New York Times commended her, writing, Few have suffered more or rendered more to the federal cause than Pauline Cushman. Even before the war was over, she was using her celebrity status to her own advantage, first publishing her memoirs entitled The Romance of the Great Rebellion, and then touring the country giving lectures about her time as a spy, often wearing her Confederate outfit. Now, how much of her story was fact and how much was exaggerated for effect, we don't know. She gained so much fame and notoriety that for a time she was featured in P.T. Barnum's Circus. For a while after the war, Pauline Cushman was having a great success and making lots of money telling her story. Since her activities were so secret, she could embellish things for dramatic purposes if she wished. 
Now, if we were making a film on Pauline Cushman's life, we would probably end it here on a happy note. But in reality, as interest in the Civil War faded and her looks began to change with age, things began to go downhill for her. Public appearances became less and less and the money began to run out. By 1868, both her children had passed away. For a while, she attempted to revive her acting career, but things didn't go well. She remarried for a second time to a man named August Fincher, but unfortunately, after a short time, he died, leaving her a widow once again. After that, she worked in logging camps in Santa Cruz. It was there she met her third husband, Jer Fryer, who she married in 1879, and the two adopted a daughter, Emma, but unfortunately she died at a young age. The two moved to Arizona, where they ran a hotel together. But this marriage didn't work out, and the two finally separated. She was described at the time as a strong-willed, good-hearted woman who was willing to help out any man or beast in distress. Yet she lived among a rough, hard-drinking, gun-toting crowd and assumed their lifestyle. She was known to referee gunfights. One Arizona friend described Cushman as refined and her hotel as well-appointed. But now she was on her own. She was broke and suffered from arthritis and rheumatism, and she self-medicated this with opium. She soon became an addict. In 1893, she applied to the federal government for a widow's pension based on her first husband, Charles Dickinson's, military service. She was given money equal to $8 a month from the time Charles died until the time she remarried 10 years later, which came to about $1,000. The small pension from her first husband's military service didn't last long. In her later years, she lived in San Francisco working as a seamstress. She was in constant pain, and on December 2, 1893, at the age of 60, took an overdose of opium and died. The surviving Civil War veterans did not forget her, however, as they gave her a rifle salute at her funeral and covered her grave in white flowers. Her gravestone simply read, Pauline C. Fryer, Union Spy. Many women also abandoned the relative safety of home to face the perils of war. During the war, there were innumerable opportunities for women to expand their role and to take part in something much larger than their home. More than 250 women secretly joined the Union and Confederate armies. Women joined the war effort for the same reason as men, and some of that's patriotism, some of that's adventure, and, and some of that's for a paying job. And um, the truth is that soldiering paid better than nursing. Has anybody got a match? Thanks. Now I can light an old gold and listen to the sad sack. What I discovered while putting the show together was just how many women dressed as young men joined both armies of the Civil War fighting as men. Young men, that is. Since many of the men who fought in the Civil War were so young, it wasn't a problem for women not to have facial hair. In fact, there were many female heroes in the Civil War, but like always, you rarely hear about them. I was looking at movies about the Civil War as well, and I couldn't find any about a, a female soldier. 
Speaking of that, it's hard to find anything on YouTube on the Civil War. I mean, if you do a search, you either find tons of links to the Ken Burns documentary or all the recent Captain America film stuff. If you do a search just on Pauline Cushman, you get like four or five videos and it's over after the first page. There's really almost nothing about her on there. Now, as far as today's story goes, it's another one where I did my best to be accurate, but well, who knows? There's a surprising amount of short biographies on her on the internet, and and many of them vary quite a bit in the amount of information they have. I did my best to pick and choose which ones seem more reliable. There was a book I found that had like two or three pages on her, and it was written a long time ago, and it it actually said that both of her kids died before her husband left to fight in the Civil War. And every other source that I found said that her kids lived and stayed with her in-laws. So a lot of this is, you know, best guess. And a lot of the information was based on her own authorized biography that came out in her lifetime. And I've read that many assumed after that book was released that it was highly exaggerated. Yet, over the years, as more information is discovered, newspaper articles and that type of thing, it's turning out to be more and more accurate than originally thought. The only portrayal I found of Cushman on TV or film was an episode of the Death Valley Days, which was a syndicated Western series from 1964. It wasn't about her war efforts or anything heroic, but it was how she found her last husband. It's on YouTube, and it's really, really bad. You know, you can't have a woman on TV in the 60s unless it's how she fell in love, I guess. Anyway, now the ending credits. The PsyCon Network only exists because of listeners who support the show, and we could use more. If you'd like to be a supporter of the PsyCon Network, visit our Patreon page. You can find information at SciCon. That's www.csicon.fm. And, of course, a sincere thank you to all of you who already support the show. And while you're at SciCon's website, why don't you check out some of our other amazing shows? Just last Thursday, I binge-listened to all six episodes of What's in a Name. I learned all about Easter how New York and Vancouver got their names, and why in the U.S. we call the yellow part of an egg a yolk. Look, it's the kind of information that you can impress your friends with. Really. Anyway, you can find What's in a Name and other amazing shows over at SciCon. And you know you can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason. You can also follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is coffeewithjeff, all one word. And I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page. And look, if you have any trouble finding my Facebook page, just send me an email and I'll send you a link. I could use some more subscribers. If you want to support the show but you don't have the coin, then just go over to iTunes and leave a, a review or a few stars. It's been a while since anybody's done that. Those things really help increase the show's popularity. And remember, all the links to the sources that I use to write today's story can be found at Psycon's Coffee with Jeff page. Well, I'd like to thank Brecky Thompson for having this podcast on the Psycon Network, to my wife of 32 years for being my wife of 32 years, 
David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo, Kelly Rickard for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme, and to all of you who listen to the show every week, thanks so much. And of course, a special shout out to all those that repost this on Facebook and Twitter. You don't know how much that means to me. Thank you. I'll be back in two weeks, hopefully with something thrilling and exciting. Something life-changing, you know. With Jeff. Coffee. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee. Coffee with Jeff. I once knew a man who used to drink his coffee black. He once tried it with some cream. Didn't like it, now he never looks back. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. Met a girl from Town. Jeff was always hanging around. She drank tea, but that was okay. She was the dawn of Jeff's new day. Coffee. Sometimes your plans get rearranged He's seen it all and he's weathered it too So Jeff wants to have some coffee with you Coffee with Jeff Coffee on coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee coffee with Jeff Thank you.